title for today is A Better Representative. Before we read, we're spending our time today in verses 1 through 10, but before we go through 1 through 10, I want to read 11 through 14 to us just to set us up for where we're headed. I, when I'm originally not from here, as my accent testifies to, I am from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I served on a church staff there for almost nine years, and while I served on that church staff, we had our church, our church also had a counseling center, and one of the men who was over that counseling center, uh, his name is Jim Price, I I sometimes will say his name was Jim Price, it still is, Uh, Jim was a mentor to me, and he was one of those people that when you spent time with him, he was incredibly gentle with your dumbness. Uh, and he listened to me talk through some of my mistakes, some of my shortcomings. And whenever I would sit down with him, he never made me feel terrible about myself. He always said things to me that built me up, that encouraged me, that pushed me on towards being more like Jesus, or at least I hope more like Jesus. His words were always edifying, always encouraging. They all, I, I never heard him raise his tone with me. That's not what we get with the writer of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, he does not talk to us in this soothing, gentle tone all the time. As a matter of fact, to these early Christians in verses 11 through 14, he says this about their misunderstanding of who Jesus is. And maybe you can agree, maybe you line up with what he tells them here. Verse 11, we have a great deal to say about all of this. That this is what I will cover over the next ten verses that's before this. We have a great deal to say about all of this, and it's really difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time, you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature. For those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Now, I'm going to read 6, 1 through 3, just to let you know what he views as elementary teachings, just in case you're wondering. In verse chapter 6, Therefore, let us leave these elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, and teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. We'll get to all this if God permits. Notice what he says are elementary teachings. And if you are a hearer or you happen to be a preacher in this room, those don't always feel like elementary teachings to us. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying to us is that we have a lot to learn. So don't zone out, zone in. Lean in to what God's going to say to us this morning in verses 1 through 10 so that we have a greater grasp of who this Jesus is. Because if we're not careful, we'll miss the beauty that God has given to us in providing for us His Son as our sacrifice. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Let me read those over us, just as I get us set up with that. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. 
He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and who are going astray, since he is also clothed with weakness. Because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not exalt himself to become a high priest, but God, who said to him, You are my son, and today I have become your father, also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. During his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the ones who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence although he was the son he learned obedience from what he suffered after he was perfected he became the source of eternal salvation to all who believe in him and he was declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek when you get to stand on a stage like this every Sunday, you become representation for certain things. Your views on books and your views on sports and your views on politics and your views on views, all, your views on the view. Uh, all of these things come together and people latch on or they detach from you because of that. So you have to be careful what you say from time to time, or at least you're supposed to be careful with what you say. You need to think through how your words are going to affect people. I've noticed that there are some people in this room and some people in our church who have really attached to things that I say. One of our third graders named Giles, uh, he and I, because he's listened to my sermons, he and I have become pen pals about the Harry Potter books. We actually write each other real live letters that go back and forth in the mail. If you are unfamiliar with the mail is, it's this box that's on your street. You drop letters in it and it goes places. So Giles and I uh, have an interaction there because I represented something that he loved. I also represent something that some of you hate when I say that I'm a Harry Potter fan. Some of you have offered to send me emails in regard to your view of Harry Potter to which I say just keep it it's okay we can talk through this later let's just have Whataburger so one of our teenagers is also someone who likes to have conversations with me because of things that I've said about various sports figures and she actually wants to sit down with me and discuss my view of Michael Jordan being the greatest basketball player of all time or what the kids call the goat that's a conversation that one of our students wants to have and I, I, it's very odd. She wants to talk to me about James Harden being the GOAT, which is really silly. So he doesn't even play defense. He's just a GO, half of a GOAT, if anything. So this morning I was asked by some of our boys, do you think that Thanos could defeat Gandalf? This is what it means to pastor Grace Bible Church. Some of you have noticed my lack of appreciation for pets. And to which I would say, why do we need pets? I have so many people at my house. I recently received a letter from the city council of Lake Jackson. They choose to write it in pen. Notice, the shelters have too many dogs. You must take some. Oops. You do have to pay for them, but some great animals are getting so sad because they are getting no great attention by us people. You must care for these great creatures written by the city council to the scratched out Merrikeen family. <laughs> these children have chosen to represent something. Representation is what we all need.
When you look into the book of Hebrews in these first few verses, you begin to see this rhythm as to how God has offered us representation. And you see the historical order of representation for the people before God. And you see the new covenant representation of God before the people. Of how God would do a work so these people could be right with him. There's this back and forth between the high priest and the people of God. There's this back and forth between God and the high priest. There's this interaction that we see taking place over and over as we read through the scriptures. As these men are in places where they could, for the people be their bridge to God and for God be the way that he interacts with the people. So you'll see these and we'll see how Jesus, the person that we've been given, the person who is our Savior that we know as Jesus is better for us than having someone who would be an earthly conduit for that. Not that these were necessarily bad. You see in your notes, if you have that, it's on the back of your worship guide. We see the first thing we notice is that the capacity of Jesus is greater. His capacity is greater. You see this back and forth in verse 1 and verses 9 and verses nine and 10. So let me read those together since we're going to evaluate them together. Verse 1. For every high priest takes from among men, taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Verses 9 and 10. After he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who believe, who obey him. And he was declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So let's just do a little work together there. Uh, when we talk about this idea of having a priest, not anyone could be the priest. You did not just show up one day and say, hey, I will be the priest. I just can't send someone to Washington, D.C. and say, this person is my representative. That, that's not how that works. I don't just show up at your door with a sash and a box full of dozy does and say I'm a Girl Scout. That's not how the world works. But these high priests were appointed by God. They're part of a, a system that God has established from, from really early in the scriptures. That someone would stand before the people as God's chosen representative. The priests, as we look through the scripture, there were numerous men who tried to usurp and step into the place of the priest and be the representation and, and offer up sacrifices to God when that was not their place. We see that with King Saul, the predecessor of King David. That did not end very well. We see that with Uzziah. We see that with a gentleman named Korah. We look at these ideas of the priest and we see that worship and sacrifice and blood in the temple, that these priests that were going before God, they had a certain function. Their function was that they would offer sacrifice. They would prepare it, as a matter of fact. The, the priest would make sure that the blood got into the temple. That The priest would make sure that the high priest had everything handed to him. And only the high priest had the function of going into the holy of holies. But in Jesus, we see that it works differently. We see that God's plan is now complete. We see that God has done fully what he had just given us shadows of in the Old Testament. Jesus made perfect. 
He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We'll work through that name in a few moments. Martin Luther, uh, Lutheran, well it's named after him. You can see that, how that works. In his life, he said, in his life, Christ is an example showing us how to live. In his death, he is a sacrifice satisfying our sins. In his resurrection, a conqueror. In his ascension, a king. In his intercession, he is a high priest. Jesus is all that God has done. Jesus is, as we said a few weeks ago, he is the sacrifice. He is the one who offers it. He is the priest who is able to do so. Jesus is our go-between. His capacity is greater. These priests in the Old Testament that these Jewish people were very much attached to, at least in theory, were limited. They were limited in their capacity. That's the word that we use in your notes. I'm limited in my capacity at times. I, I don't know if you've met my wife. She's a wonderful woman who is, she will try and do anything. If something's broke, she will try to fix it. What she has realized over our almost 12 years of marriage is I'm really just grunt labor. I don't know how to fix stuff. I don't like to own tools where people would ever ask me to fix stuff because they're going to watch me use it inappropriately, accidentally. But she does know that if she needs something carried to the attic, which is a really popular thing at my house for whatever reason, that I can get it there. I can move it up the steps. But if it's anything beyond that, thankfully there are men in this church that we call. There are people that we can contact because I am limited in what I am able to do simply because my brain doesn't work that way. No matter how many YouTube videos you show me. I can't do... I, I am not a DIY. I am a DI call somebody. The priests, because they were human beings, were limited in what they could do. They weren't the ultimate goal of God. They were pointing to that. We see in this text that God is saying to us that in Jesus, he has made complete what was originally presented as incomplete. We're taking you somewhere. We're not there yet was the function of the Old Testament priest. But in Jesus, the plan is made full. Verse 9, he has been made perfect. He, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. Jesus is greater. What he can do offers us more than what the priests could do. We also see this as we look through the text, that what Jesus does and his, his compassion is greater than the compassion of the priest. Verses 2 and 3. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. This is talking about the Old Testament priest. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. We're in the middle of March Madness, and we all have teams that we cheer for. I was having a conversation with one of our newer members just a few moments ago about how, who his favorite college basketball team is. He said that his favorite basketball team is Duke. Well, that's simple, right? I, I love Duke, and I, 
asked her, well, I know your favorite football team. It's the New England Patriots. I'm imagining your favorite baseball team is the New York Yankees. I, I guess you never lean into the real world that the rest of us live in. You just like to cheer for champions. How fun is that? Enjoy the wagon that you ride all of the time. When you look at this, he is saying that Duke is the champion and for him as a Lake Jacksonian through and through, he is attached to this team in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina who is going to represent him through the course of this tournament. For all of us, we've got these champions that we cheer for. I cheer for the University of Tennessee because I'm okay with losing. They will represent me through this tournament. When they lose, my heart will be broken. They lose. This may be the year. They represent me in full. The high priest for the people was that. Representing the people in full. Their hearts are attached to him. They watch what he does. If everything goes well, then everything goes well for them. If anything goes bad with him. And that happens through the scriptures. Especially when we get to these New Testament priests. Then things are bad for them. Corruption seeks, seeps into this. The high priest is appointed by God through family. We actually, I'm sorry, we'll look at that in a moment. The high priest sympathizes with us, though. There is benefit to that. Notice with me in verse 2, where it uses the words ignorant and wayward. Now, those aren't negative terms, though they sound negative, and we use them negatively. Ignorant means that they lack knowledge. These Old Testament priests, the priesthood as a whole... We're standing before God, before the people, as their intercessor for God, with God, because they didn't get it. Wayward, it means they were wanderers. They, they did not know where to go. They were sheep in need of a shepherd. There was struggle in them because of that. Ignorant and wayward people. And the priest would shepherd them back into the fold. And they would shepherd them well. They would do that by going before God and dealing with these people in a very important, helpful way. The high priest, ideally, was not apathetic towards the sins of the people. If you are unfamiliar with the word apathetic, they never communicated that they did not care. They also did not grow agitated by what took place with the people. They did not say, I cannot believe that you would ever do that. That goal, the hope, would be that they would stand before the people and say, let me steer you in the direction you need to go. Let me help you get where you need to be. Now, for many of us in America, with our numerous denominations and our various uh, faith traditions, we identify the idea of the priest with Catholicism. That's not necessarily what we see taking place in the scriptures. We do not see a priest who represents the people. We see something different. As a matter of fact, because of the work of Jesus on our behalf, the idea of the priesthood is not something that is wrapped up in robes with, with unique looking collars. The priest is not the person that we look to. They're the person who's sitting beside us if they're believers in Jesus. 
So if you're wondering what a priest looks like, look to your left and look to your right. And if that person has a relationship with the Lord Jesus, then they are a priest. And that means that there are functions for me and functions for you in the way that I deal with people who are wandering and wayward. Because if the goal of the priest is not to be apathetic or agitated, how often am I apathetic and agitated with other believers? How often do I look at those who are far from God and roll my eyes rather than roll up my sleeves? How often do I see that I very much like where this text is taking me, that I am sympathetic toward the needs of others? Or how regularly do I find myself with a lack of sympathy? Church family, if you're a believer in Jesus, and I'm still not convinced that all of us are, but if we have a relationship with the Lord Jesus, if people have questions, we should be dedicating our lives to having the ability to at least answer those as to who this Jesus is and why we trust Him. We can sympathize with people But we don't sympathize for sympathy's sake. We sympathize with people who are far from the Lord to show them that Christ has done more than that. That His compassion is greater than ours. Look with me to verse 8 of this passage. Actually, we're going to go in verse 7. During His earthly life, He offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. A little bit of work we have to do there to think that this is... When you read this phrase in the original language, the idea of obedience to the point of suffering... It's a rhyme in the Greek language. When the words would be said side by side, they sounded like a rhyme. It was a phrase that was familiar. But the translation of it is, if we're going to use something that is, we can, that is tangible for us is, no pain, no gain. That's what it says. Look at the Bible. Mean contextual. No pain, no gain. Jesus, perfect in every way, did not just sympathize with us, he suffered for us. What's he crying about in these verses? What is causing Jesus to weep? Well, we do see in the garden, Matthew chapter 26, rather, let this cup pass from me, this cup of death that he's going to drink. But he submits himself to that. He, he submit. That's not something that he necessarily wanted to do. We mistake the idea of submission and agreement. Look, if we're going to lunch today, and we're going to have a conversation about where we as a people are going to lunch, and you say, Chad, let's go. Hey, sure, I like lunch and dinner. Pro breakfast, a few snacks. I like them all. But we're going to go to lunch. Here's how the conversation works between us. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? So when you ping pong that back and forth a few moments, eventually one of you has to be the bigger person. 
And you have to begin to give options. You list off the options. We could go to El Toro, or we could go to Whataburger and hurt for the rest of the day, or we can go to the pick events. There's my three. You pick one. So when you had this back and forth, eventually you get to a place where there's agreement, right? Let's agree to go to pick a fence. That pimento cheeseburger is amazing. Let's do that. We will go there together. That is not submitting to the will of another person. That is agreement in your general direction. When we see Jesus weeping in the garden, there is a sense of agreement there. God, I'm going to do what you would have me to do. But Lord, let this cup pass from me, but I will submit myself to you. So there is that. But you'll notice in the high priestly prayer that was read earlier by, by Miss Foster, when she read through this, Kim, by the way, Kim, thank you, new member of our church, for reading an entire chapter of the Bible. That's on me. 27 verses. Knock it out. So when she reads through this, you see Jesus praying for certain things. What's he praying for? Let's go there. John 17. Keep your finger in Hebrews. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Notice what he just prayed. God, I want you to make much of yourself. I want you to make much of yourself. That's what I want to see happen. Then notice who he prays for next. He prays for disciples, his followers, the people that he is closest to. Then, in verses 20 through 26, he prays for you. People who would come to know the Father through the testimony of these men about him being their great high priest. He weeps over you. His heart is burdened over you. I can't think of the last time that I wept over a lost person. I have to work really hard to remember the last time that I, my heart was broken over a Christian who was suffering. The persecution of the church in China. Some of us doesn't, don't even know that's happening. What if we were more like Jesus? Jesus prays this high priestly prayer in John 17. It's for the people that he's closest to. It's for those who would come to know him because of their closeness. What if we thought like that? Seven, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud voices and cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reference. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He is God. And the full display of his grasp of humanity comes in his suffering. 
So if there is anything that you hear that would communicate that Christians do not suffer, should not suffer, should walk away from this, the most Christian person of all of the history of Christianity, who Christianity is named after, suffered. Why would we expect our outcome to be any different? It's part of it. And it's part of clinging to hope that what God has done for us in Jesus offers resurrection on the last day. There is hope beyond. That doesn't mean that you won't have victories in this world. I hope you do. I hope you get to eat lunch where you want to eat lunch sometimes. But there is more to this than that. In Jesus, let's go verses, we're going to go to verses 4, 5, and 6. See what's happened there? We went, we went 1, we went 9 and 10. We went 2 and 3, we're going 7 and 8. Verse 4, 5, and 6, I'll read them together and then we'll work through it. No one takes this honor on himself. No one chooses to be the priest. The high priest is appointed by God through the family. What's that family? It's Aaron's family. No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, it is a, a person is called by God just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not exalt himself to become a high priest, but, but God who said to him, You are my son today, and I have become your father. And also says in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So notice, a couple of things happen here that I don't want us to miss. Because I think that we lose hope because we're not as perfect as Bible people. The high priest is appointed by God through family. We see that in verse 4. No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God just as Aaron. Aaron, the brother of Moses. And you would think of the Old Testament deliverer that you're kind of a big deal. You would be wrong. Aaron is a Bible dum-dum. And the reason that I can say that is I can read. When you read Aaron's story, he lives in the middle of a lie at one point. Moses is on top of the mountain. We've heard this mountain story. We like the mountain. He comes down from the mountain. When he gets to the bottom of the mountain, he notices that his brother Aaron is making a golden calf. And when he's asked about the golden calf, this first priest that we see in Scripture replies to his brother, the people came to me with their jewelry. I threw it into the fire and the calf just popped out. That's not how this works. Things don't just jump out shaped. Our sin is carved. It may start out just jumping out. You've got this big bunch of mess there but slowly methodically we shape it but when we are called out about it it just happened we've heard the phrase we're all one step from stupid that may be true but you took 1000 micro steps to get there Carving and carving, shaping and shifting, so that what you're worshiping, you don't even realize it's supposed to be worshiped. It's just a cow. But that should be good for us to hear, and here's why. 
if the first priest that we see in Scripture is that clown, that means there's hope for you. There's absolute hope for you. There's hope for me. We get to 5 and 6. We hear that Jesus is better because he was not a high priest appointed by God through his family line. Jesus is a high priest because he's, he is appointed by God the Father. Verse 5. Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, because you can't do that, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. That's the word that we see used in the Gospel of John. If you've ever read King Jimmy English, the only begotten son, the God is your father, that you have taken on human flesh. Verse 6. As he says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek we deal with in chapter 7. But just to give you a small picture of what's taking place here in the book of Genesis chapter 14. You've got this man who is the king of Salem. Or we call it Jerusalem. And as this king, he is also the one who offers up sacrifices. He serves the role of priest and king. So when we say that Jesus is in the line of Melchizedek, what we're saying is that Jesus is not an appointed priest because of his family members who, as, as in coming through the line of Aaron, we see that Jesus is the priest forever on top of forever from the very beginning. That he is the king who offers sacrifice. That he is the one who offers up right access to God. The eldest son of the priest who dies and the new one is appointed. That's how it works with Aaron. But with Jesus, he is a priest whose kingdom will last forever. Not only does his kingdom last forever, his sacrifice is eternally. Something that is active. In Jesus... We have an eternal priest who is part of an eternal priesthood who has an eternal sacrifice that offers eternal life. For the believer, he is and forever will be your yes before God. God looks at Jesus no matter how nasty you happen to be. If you are truly in the person of Christ, when God looks at Jesus, he says yes Yes, yes. Now, there is something that runs through the book of Hebrews because there are all of these warnings and we're talking that we... As it's the idea that someone could lose their salvation. Here's the problem with that. The Bible is the problem with that. Because when you read about what's taking place here and you deal with Jesus as your eternal yes, whose sacrifice is always active and is never void... If you are saying that you are losing your salvation, that means that if you die, after losing your salvation, you will spend eternity in hell, and Jesus is still claiming that one's mine. When your eternal torture is saying that it, you are not his. The work of Jesus on the cross is this eternal act on behalf of God to say to you, yes, yes, yes. However, Jesus, so we see Jesus as our refuge. That's beautiful. But he's either your refuge or he's your wrath. Because the flip side of that is, outside of Jesus, we have an eternal statement from God that our sacrifices, your sacrifice of being kind and polite and nice and not pushing old ladies in the street or doing any of those things, that's us saying 
that our sacrifices meet the demands of God, but they do not and they never will. No matter how kind you are, how polite you happen to be, no matter how much you call people Mr. and Mrs., no matter how many times you help your neighbors move, no matter how many times you say yes ma'am and yes sir to your elders, if Christ is not your great high priest, your eternal forever sacrifice, then you will not be in right relationship with God for eternity. That sounds harsh, but the Bible is sometimes. So when we ask questions like, can a genuine believer lose his or her salvation? The answer is no. And that's really good news. Jesus is either your refuge or your wrath. Now some of you are hearing this and you're like, oh, I don't know what to do with all of this. Maybe you're not a believer in Jesus. Maybe you're thinking that your wrath is coming. Well, it is. But Hebrews has been saying to us over and over, as long as you've got it today, there's hope. There's hope for you in Jesus. We see that Jesus is our greater He's, his calling for us is greater because Christ is appointed by God as the, the Father. Everything that Jesus is, is what you need. That's why we take communion the way that we do. What, what we say this morning, and if you notice there's tables around the room with, with juice and, and crackers. We take communion remembering what would take place on the cross, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. So let me be very clear. If you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus, don't eat the cracker. It's just a cracker. I'll give you a gift card to Chick-fil-A. You can't go there today, you can go another day. But it's what believers do that is symbolic, that God's death and resurrection are our only hope. If you're here and you're like, I don't really know if I'm a believer... Just wrestle with... Don't eat the cracker. But afterwards, if you want to talk to me or one of our elders, we'd love to sit down with you and just help you process that a little bit and maybe you can eat the cracker. But for those of us who are believers in Jesus, we are not just eating an oyster cracker and we're not just drinking grape juice. What we are saying is that we celebrate today that the broken body of Jesus is still enough for me. That the shed blood of Jesus is my right standing before God. That my hope is fully invested in this king because he is not my wrath. He is my refuge. I'm going to put my trust there over and over and over. And when I forget to put my trust there, and when I live in a way that says that I don't put my trust there, his power and his strength are great enough to extend into my shortcomings. Because you can't be bad enough for Jesus to stop loving you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Jesus, you're good to us as a people. I thank you for this church. I thank you for their love for our community. Thank you for their desire to see us worship every week. I thank you for the way that our people give their time or their talents or their treasures. But God, all of those things are short. They fall short of the hope that we have in you. All of those things have value because of the hope that we have in you. So today, Jesus, we celebrate you as our great high priest. Broken body and shed blood on our behalf.
And we will acknowledge that we trust you when we take of this bread and we drink of this cup. And we will be saying in doing so, symbolically, that what you have done for us is eternal. Take a moment at your seat and wrestle in your heart just a little bit with the goodness of Jesus revealed to you. And then take the bread and the cup as you feel free.